holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No! But it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. You can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Or go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write it's more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall. You can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something something to keep us in business if you like what you hear tonight well a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that uh if you feel so inclined you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt again that's rfb.nyc slash nbt oh man that was exhausting wasn't it it was for me i'm sure it was for you too so that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. Oh, man, what a beautiful day it was today in Brooklyn, in New York, in the United States of America. So last week, I kicked the show off by talking about my new job. Hasn't started yet, but I am happy to report that I feel I'm feeling a little, a little more excited about it. I mean, this is, it's hard for me to talk about this because it's so stupid. Not the job, but my weird feelings about it. This is a great job. It's with a company I've wanted to work for for years. It's not exactly what I want to be doing, but who gives a shit? You can't be, a, I mean, bakers can't be choosers. It has benefits, healthcare, all that stuff. So why don't I stop? I mean, it is going to be a big lifestyle change because as someone who basically was living off the gig economy for six plus years, I got used to picking my own hours, staying up late, sleeping in late, all that stuff. And that's going to have to go by the wayside, but I'm 32. Time to grow up. Anywho, I hope everyone has had a beautiful day, a beautiful week, rather. Man, I opened last week's show by commenting on how much can change in a week. Well, shit, folks, that was before Super Tuesday, and a lot has changed since then. I think I was talking last week about how South Carolina changed everything. Well, to Super Tuesday changed everything. 
Now you might not be happy about it, but I don't really care. I'm like, I'm to a point right now where I'm not exactly concerned with personal happiness. In other words, your favorite candidate is not going to be the nominee. And frankly, my favorite candidate is not going to be the nominee. Boo-hoo, first world problems. Let's get our heads out of our asses and start seeing the bigger picture, shall we? Oh, we're going to talk about that, folks. We're going to talk about that quite a bit. But before we jump into all of it, let's talk about what's been going on in the news, what's been going on in the world, because there's a lot to cover. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. Here's what's making news tonight. Yes, as I said, there's a lot to cover, folks, so let's just get right into it. There's two big stories that I want to talk about tonight. And here, let's start on the first one, the coronavirus. Not something to joke about. See, I haven't really talked that much about the coronavirus because, I don't know, wasn't at the forefront of my mind, number one. Number two, everyone else was talking about it, so I didn't want to belabor the point. But the fact of the matter is, there's a reason it's been all over the news. Rightfully so, it's been all over the news. And so tonight, I do want to take some time to talk not just about the coronavirus, but more so about the Trump administration's impossibly impossibly incompetent response to the whole thing. So let's dive in. At last count, here's how things look with the outbreak overall. Okay, let's go over some numbers because those are fun for radio. The global pandemic has now affected more than 100,000 people and killed 3,800. That's worldwide. Here in America, we're now at over 600 confirmed cases across 33 states with 20 Americans who have died. 20, 20 and growing. Now, in Italy, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but Italy is unquestionably the hardest hit place outside of China. And the government there has instituted an unprecedented lockdown of the entire country. What? I just got a news alert about this a couple hours ago. The entire country of Italy is on lockdown. The prime minister has announced a dramatic total lockdown of the country to protect citizens from the coronavirus outbreak. Now, get this. The leading U.S. official for infectious diseases, he has said, he or she has said, that that same thing might have to happen in, quote, certain communities here in America. Oh, my God, no. Now, let me just say this right off the jump. I honestly think that the, I mean, I don't even like to use the word hysteria, but we are kind of in a slight hysteria, and it you know, with people buying up all the toilet paper and you can't find hand sanitizer anywhere. It's a little over the top, honestly. And I think it's, I don't know if it's really warranted. However, however, there are some undeniable facts, the most glaring of which is Trump and his utter incompetence have made everything about this worse. Truly. For example, Global stock markets are collapsing over the economic impact of coronavirus, as well as an oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. Trading just today, I mean, today was basically the apex of all of this madness. Today, trading was halted on Wall Street this morning after the market plunged 1,800 points at the opening bell. Now, 
by this afternoon, the Dow or the yeah trading was down two thousand points, which is the worst single day loss in American history. The worst. Great Depression, Great Recession, Black Monday. Today was the worst single day loss in American history. Now, how is our illegitimate president handling this crisis? Well, <laughs> yesterday he went golfing. Now, I'm not one to gripe about the president doing recreational stuff. I'm really not. However, it is a little difficult not to be bothered by it when he spent almost all of his time griping about Obama any time he would ever go golfing. He's a nasty person. It is a little bothersome, but I digress. He went golfing today and, oh no, he went golfing yesterday. On Friday, he held a press conference at the CDC where he actually said this. But anybody that needs a test can have a test. They're all set. They have enough. In addition to that, they're making millions of more as we speak. But as of right now and yesterday, anybody that needs a test, that's the important thing. And the tests are all perfect. Like the letter is perfect. The transcription was perfect, right? This was not as perfect as that, but pretty good. I have great experts, including our vice president, who's working 24 hours a day on this stuff. Um, they would like to have the people come off. I'd rather have the people stay, but I'd go with them. I told them to make the final decision. I would rather, because I like the numbers being where they are. I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship. That wasn't our fault. All right. So to clarify, towards the beginning of that, when he says the tests are perfect, like the letter, the transcription was perfect, that's a reference to his perfect call with Ukraine. Can you believe that? And when he talks about the people coming off or staying, that's referring to the Grand Princess cruise ship that basically has an outbreak of its own of the coronavirus. Everyone on that ship almost has it now because someone got it and they're all in close quarters. So now it's just spreading amongst them. I can't even begin to describe the depths of hell from which this truly vile human being must have crawled out of. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't even know what I mean. He's a despicable nincompoop. Despicable and a nincompoop. He's a despicable nincompoop. And I hate him. Oh, sorry. I strongly dislike him. So, first of all, when he says that tests are available to all who want or need them, that's just a flat out lie. Okay, they aren't available for anyone. Whether you need them or want them, you can't have them. Everyone knows that. But the fact that his simple little brain makes the word perfect come out to describe these non-existent tests, and that immediately causes him to remember and talk about his Ukraine call. I mean, what is wrong with this sack of shit? Someone tranquilize this wretched beast. The only two things that this crisis and that call have in common are the fact that they're both historic blunders and a sign of deep, inherent narcissism and corruption. That's about it. But I don't know why that needed to be pointed out and why he needed to talk about one thing when we're dealing with the other. I mean, truly. And by the way, as he was giving that press conference, 
you had this dystopian image of Trump standing there in a red MAGA hat at the CDC, okay? He's wearing a red MAGA hat, which has to be illegal, a violation of the Hatch Act. But regardless, it is just so outrageously inappropriate. Oh, and I guarantee you he never thought twice about it. But anyway, you've got this dystopian image of him standing there in his MAGA hat talking about stuff he just so obviously knows nothing about that couldn't be more important and sounding like a, a toddler with special needs, all while surrounded by actual experts biting their tongues, praising this idiot to the high heavens, all in the hopes that he might allow them to say something true and accurate. Yeah, that's where we are. That's real life here in the United States now. Ugh. Now, look, there is some blame to go around here. I mean, there are things that his technocratic scientific health leadership did that were just mistakes that did set us back weeks. But most of it has just clearly been a series of decisions made by Trump's desire to downplay this pandemic that had a cascading effect that has really just left us in a terrible position to deal with this virus. A horrible position. Couldn't be worse. Couldn't be worse. It's as simple as that, really. And you want to know what else is just so flagrantly obvious? I mean, I don't think you need me to tell you this, but the only thing that has motivated this filthy piece of human garbage to act at all has been the ep- the economic ramifications. That's why he suddenly cares a little bit. Not the loss of human life, not the domestic crisis, health crisis, human crisis, but the economic ramifications because he knows that those could have a political consequence for him, for him. Screw human life, screw communities, He'd just soon rather wait until the spring when he says this whole thing will probably just disappear. Things tend to disappear in April. He said that. He is, he's a good guy. He's great. Are you stupid? And uh, Trump saying that he didn't want the cruise ship brought ashore because it would cause the number of American cases to go up. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to be blamed for a ship that was not his fault. What is wrong with him? I mean, that's indicative of how this guy thinks about everything, if you can call it thinking. And that also is indicative of just how he has screwed up this entire response. He only views things through a prism of how they will affect him, be it politically, personally, publicly, sexually. I don't know. It doesn't even matter. He only considers things by how they'll affect his political standing, his public image, his sense of self. And that's why he's trying to downplay the severity of this crisis. I mean, all of this stuff, the stock market plunging, we are in a recession pretty much. And he's just going to plug his ears and close his eyes and act like it's not happening. Truly. I mean, there have been all kinds of bizarre reports on how 
Trump has been like lashing out and screaming at anyone, including experts, who come to him with anything that could be considered bad or negative news. And I mean, that's not, you can't be president without hearing something every day that might be a challenge, that might be something you're going to have to face and deal with, be a leader. He doesn't want to hear that stuff. So people have basically been conditioned to just not tell him certain things. Like a child, like a difficult, dumbass child that everyone at the family reunion hates and wishes you didn't bring. The whole family is probably stupid. And yet, people deal with it. People allow it. There's also, a, there was a report in Vanity Fair about how last week, Trump basically had a meltdown over this coronavirus, and he was telling aides that he's afraid journalists might try to purposely contract coronavirus in order to give it to him on Air Force One. Oh my God, he's an idiot. I mean, that's, that's putting it nicely. He actually said that out loud. Now, interestingly enough, Congressman Matt Gates of Florida... Well, he actually did ride on Air Force One with Trump hours before he decided to self-quarantine over his possible exposure to coronavirus at CPAC, which Trump also attended. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. And the irony doesn't just end there, folks. Listen to this. Last week, Matt Gates, Republican congressman from Florida, Wore a, gas, uh, wore a gas mask on the House floor during a vote on the coronavirus response package. He was clearly doing it to mock what he called democratic fear-mongering and hysteria. Well, that was on March 4th, so that was five days ago. Since then, someone in his district has actually died of the virus, and he is now self-quarantining. So... I would say karma's a bitch, but honestly, it feels kind of vulgar and inappropriate to make jokes about something so serious that's affecting people's lives. If only Congressman Gates had felt the same way when he decided to wear a gas mask onto the House floor as some kind of stunt. Maybe it's time to start taking your job seriously, you little turd. Ugh. You know, folks, this is one of those times when what a president says matters, you know? <laughs> I mean, really, had Trump been willing to listen, willing to learn about what was going on, and thus been able to make intelligent statements on it, as opposed to empty-headed claims that it was under control, not a big deal, would magically disappear, it's fine. Had he been willing to listen, learn, and talk intelligently? Hospitals, nursing homes, other healthcare facilities could have prepared themselves. You know, they could have started buying more respirators, getting more hospital beds, uh, more staffing. They could have been prepared earlier and more sufficiently than they have been. Now that is costing human lives. He is costing human lives. This is just such a nightmare. We're living in such a goddamn nightmare. Are we not? You know, it's interesting. 
I have not actually watched any of it yet, but there is a brand new documentary series on Hulu about Hillary Clinton. It's called Hillary. And a lot of people I know who have been watching it, they love it. They say it's inspirational. I'm nervous to watch it because I think it'll just depress me, make me sad to remember how dumb we are as a country and what we let happen. But someone made the comment, the smart comment, after watching that documentary about how just to think about the world we could be living in, the life we could be having. That's why I haven't watched the documentary because I just get sad to think about what could have been, honestly. Now, last thing I want to say on this coronavirus before we move on is, I don't know if you guys listen to Pod Save America, but the guy's we're talking about this today. And I thought they made a really good point about how even in Trump's skewed, perverted way of thinking and managing this whole thing, even in that prism, they've gone about this so stupidly and wrongly. Take a listen. They're not just thinking politically. They're not only thinking about PR. They're thinking about PR in an incredibly narrow and foolish and short-sighted way. Right. They, even, even if you wanted, even if you said, okay, they just want to think about the political implications and, and the and the public opinion, all that stuff, they're still doing it wrong. Yeah, they're still <laughs> doing it wrong. I mean, it's like, you know, let's say Donald Trump was just, all I care about is winning. What do I need to do to win? A a smart political person would say, you need to be honest now to create the conditions for you to demonstrate that you're doing a good job managing this over the long term because the coronavirus doesn't watch Lou Dobbs and doesn't respect Republican talking points. So if you don't get ahead of this now, everything you're doing to be rosy will make you look right. that much dumber well, in a week's time. It's, it's short-termism, right? Yes. It's like, I just got to get through today and tomorrow and win this news cycle and I don't have to worry about what's happening down the road. That's it. That's the story of Donald Trump. It's a pretty freaking crazy time to be alive. Man, it is just nuts. You look around, people are kind of dazed and confused. No one really seems to know exactly what to do because this is an unprecedented situation, first of all, but it's also because of mixed messaging. Let's not beat around that bush, shall we? The other night... This past weekend, I actually had two parties to go to. They were both up in, not even Harlem, but like Washington Heights, Hamilton Heights. And frankly, I didn't want to make that trek two nights in a row. And so I didn't go out Friday night. On Saturday, now these were these were birthday parties. They were both at friends' apartments. They were not out and about. We were not going to be, you know, doing a bar hop by any stretch. But I did go out a Saturday night to my friend's birthday party, and it was pretty low-key, not just in terms of numbers and turnout, but people are not happy. I mean, people are scared. People are depressed. People are worried. And I I mean, how can anyone blame them? I've mentioned the past like two or three weeks that I did just get a new job. I'm supposed to start Wednesday. I don't really know if that's going to happen. I know that the people at the office are all home. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do feel very fortunate to, you know, I was talking about how this new job is kind of scary. It's going to be a lot of change. It's going to cause a change in lifestyle and all that stuff. Well, let me tell you, folks, I'm worried for my friends in the gig economy, in the hospitality industry. What is going to happen to them? 
what is going to happen to them? If you don't know, well, I guess we can just hop in and talk about it. So, folks, this morning, Mayor de Blasio signed an executive order limiting all restaurants, bars, and cafes to takeout and delivery only. No sit-down service for the foreseeable future. Nightclubs, movie theaters, small theater houses, concert venues, they've all been ordered to close. What? They've all been ordered to close. The order goes into effect tomorrow, Tuesday at 9 a.m. That is, I mean, that is a drastic action to take. I know it's necessary. I know that it's the right thing to do. It's still scary. This is an insane time to be alive. This is an insane thing to be happening. Yeah, so far there are 329 confirmed cases of the COVID-19 in this city and five reported deaths. Now that was according to Mayor de Blasio last night, and he stressed that both numbers are expected to grow substantially in the coming days. And I wouldn't be surprised if, honestly, the numbers had gone up since he made this announcement. It is that quick and that rapid a growth rate. Now, let's not sugarcoat things. Let's be real. This pandemic has truly brought New York City to its knees like we've never seen before. No one has ever seen this before. In recent days, The Tonight Show, Late Night, The Daily Show, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and virtually all New York City-based talk shows have announced they'd be suspending production for the remainder of the month at the very least. Saturday Night Live, they announced today they're not going to return from hiatus. The bright lights of Broadway have gone dark, shutting down all 41 of its theaters. There's nothing, you know, no sports, no sports to watch. The NBA has more or less canceled its season. Who knows if it'll return in time for the playoffs? Probably not. March Madness, the famous men's college basketball tournament, canceled. Major League Baseball has called off spring training and was planning to push their official opening day back two weeks from the original March 26th. But today they announced they're going to push it back even longer. No date was given, so it's just longer. So basically the Major League Baseball season has been suspended. National Hockey League, that's shut down. Sports aren't happening. Now, I really don't think it matters how old you are. It's pretty safe to say that no one, no one has ever seen anything like this before. I can't imagine it. This city is shutting down. And it's obviously that's close to home, but it's not just in the United States. Today in France, President Emmanuel Macron announced he was ordering people in the country to stay at home for up to 15 days because of the coronavirus People may leave their homes only for essential needs and duties beginning midday tomorrow, Tuesday. Canada's leader, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, whose wife contracted coronavirus, he announced that he would be closing the country's borders to foreigners with the exception of U.S. citizens, which I think is very strange. Why would he allow us in? We've got more people with corona, the coronavirus than many other nations. Why make the exception for us? I don't know. Bars and movie theaters, they're shutting down. New York City announced that the schools, the largest school district in the country, shutting down as well, probably won't open again this year. Los Angeles announced pretty much all of the same closures and cancellations, but actually went a step further and shut down all gyms and places to work out, which I was just informed. Apparently, New York City has done as well. I don't understand that. When I go to Planet Fitness, folks, I always go late at night when there's nobody there. That's the whole point. So why can't they open the doors for me? God damn it. We need to work out. We need recreation. I know, I know, I know. I know that it's the right thing to do, I guess. 
but people are going to go fucking, they're going to get stir crazy. They're going to get cabin fever, the shining. I don't want to see any Jack Torrance's losing their minds and snapping on their families. Oh God, help us. It is scary. It is scary. And it is not, it's kind of daunting to think about. The CDC announced last night that all public events with expected crowds of 50 or more should be canceled for at least the next eight weeks. And that's what prompted a lot of these closings and shutdowns. Now, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Here is a summary from various news agencies and whatnot of where we are with this coronavirus. Chaos and gridlock at airport customs checkpoints. From Dallas to New York to Chicago O'Hare, thousands upon thousands of travelers returning from Europe forced to stand shoulder to shoulder over the weekend for four, six, even eight hours waiting to get through customs and newly required health screenings. Exactly the kind of massive crowds the nation's health experts are trying to avoid. Drastic measures are underway across the country. New York Governor Cuomo is calling on the president to deploy the Army Corps of Engineers to set up temporary medical centers. Let's use that massive logistics machine of the military to actually save lives. Another dramatic move by the Federal Reserve, cutting the benchmark interest rate to near zero, hoping to stem the economic fallout. This morning, the nation's largest school system, New York City, has made the difficult decision to keep more than one million students and staff at home until at least the 20th of April. We may not have the opportunity to reopen them, reopen them in this full school year. The mayor of Los Angeles announcing similar closures, including gyms. The time for action is here. This is not a joke. No one is immune to this. California's governor also taking so, uh, unprecedented action, urging the state's 5.3 million senior citizens to self-isolate. We are doing so with our eyes wide open at the magnitude of what that means. Spring break crowds over the weekend in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, prompting city leaders to close beaches. We cannot become a petri dish for a very dangerous virus. More than 40,000 residents in Teaneck, New Jersey, ordered to self-quarantine after a growing number of cases there. Meanwhile, a growing list of retailers have temporarily shuttered, including Apple stores, Nike, and Urban Outfitters. For at least the next two weeks, Starbucks coffee will only be available to go. The Seattle-based chain also closing stores in high social gathering locations. But the biggest blow may come to small businesses like Manhattan's century-old town shop closing indefinitely. These are strange and unsettling times, but I feel for the health and well-being of my staff and my customers, it's the right move for now. Hard choices during an unprecedented national fight to slow the spread of the virus. The restrictions on crowd sizes have even reached the Strip of Las Vegas. MGM Resorts, which operates multiple casinos, about a dozen on the Vegas Strip, says they will shut down hotel and casino operations. A major announcement as this spreads all across the country. Plague. It's a plague, folks. And it's difficult because we've been told so many different things. The messages has been mixed. What's upsetting about it, the whole thing... They keep driving home the fact that this is something that a lot of people can get and recover from without any medical intervention. They say that people, unless you're elderly or you have some kind of immune deficiency, 
then you will probably get it and recover and move on with your life. And it's not that big of a deal. But because there are elderly and the spread is growing and all that stuff, it's just doesn't the actions don't seem to fit the the idea that this is not measles or anything like that. Malaria. Anyway, you know, I have to say, you heard in that summary, and I think I mentioned there's been talk of lowering interest rates. They injected $2.5 trillion into the stock market to save, you know, to help the economy through this. But what about people? What about people, workers? That's what, that's what's really kind of got me frantic at the moment. You know, with all of these closures and quarantines and distancing and all that stuff, hundreds of thousands of people are out of work. Baristas, waiters, waitresses, hosts, uh, caterers, everybody, everybody, Broadway performers, ushers, concession stand workers, athletes, everybody is out of work. And it's like, you know, people can't go to work to earn money. And even if they could go to work, how could their bosses pay them? They aren't making any money either. How are people supposed to pay their rent? That's my biggest worry. You know, there's supposedly been a moratorium placed on evictions, but, you know, evictions typically take months to play out anyway. I mean, what's that really going to do? Where is the rent freeze? Seriously, people should not have to pay rent at a time like this. No one's earning any money. I don't get it. And I'm kind of surprised, you know, Cuomo has been giving at least one big press conference a day. De Blasio has been doing the same. I've yet to hear a reporter ask that. I know they're talking about ways to help people in terms of income. I know that today I heard de Blasio, yeah, he was asked about providing relief for all the hundreds of thousands of people who will be out of work for however long this lasts. And frankly, his answer was not that comforting. He said that the city simply does not have the capacity. They simply don't have the resources to do such a thing that the federal government would have to step in and that they could do so easily. The federal government, that means Donald Trump. Who wants to rely on him for anything? Totally corrupt people. You know, I don't really want to make this political. It's a scary time and finger pointing feels kind of insipid and unhelpful. But look, Trump didn't cause the corona outbreak. But what just enrages me is how much worse he has made this. I said so last week. It's certainly even worse now. Way worse. It gets worse by the day. Every time, every goddamn time Donald Trump has spoken publicly about this outbreak, it has only served to confuse people, contradict experts, muddy the waters, and set us back. I mean, for God's sake, take last Tuesday night. Now, this feels like it was eight years ago, but it was less than a week ago. Last Tuesday night, he gave his first official address on the coronavirus by delivering a prepared speech from the Oval Office. A prepared speech from the Oval Office to a national audience. It was broadcast nationally. Very official, very important. Instead of addressing things like what people should do, how to get tested, where we were in terms of preparedness and when more tests would arrive, Donald Trump, naturally used the speech to do what he does best. First and foremost, blame other people. Breaking news, tipping point. President Trump addresses the nation on the coronavirus pandemic using just his second Oval Office speech to announce the U.S. will suspend most travel from Europe. 
The European Union failed to take the same precautions and restrict travel from China and other hotspots. As a result, a large number of new clusters in the United States were seeded by travelers from Europe. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. Okay. First of all, it's not a foreign virus. I mean, good God. Like, it's just a virus, okay? Even in times of crisis, Donald Trump still makes sure to include dog whistles like that. It's a foreign virus. The Chinese sent it here and Democrats. He was blaming it on Democrats for a while, saying it was a hoax between the media and Democrats. Oh. Most importantly, though, and this is something that really stood out to me. By the time Trump made this announcement talking about ceasing travel, stopping flights between Europe and America, by the time he made that announcement, the virus was already here. I mean, the virus was very much here. We had hundreds of cases. What the hell was cutting off travel between us and Europe really going to do? That would be one that'd be smart maybe if it had yet to arrive in America, but it was long since here. I mean, forgive me, but is it me or does it seem like Trump's instinctive reaction to any type of problem or crisis is just to shut down the border? I mean, they could be like, President Trump, there's a giant asteroid headed towards Earth. Quick, shut down the border. No Mexicans, no Canadians. Excuse me. He's an idiot. Oh, sorry. Like I said, I don't want to make this political, but turns out this announcement, this Tuesday night speech, very official, very supposedly important and informative. Well, not only did it take everyone by surprise, meaning Europe, he didn't talk to Europe before announcing he was shutting down travel to and from Europe. But in addition to that, it also turned out that almost everything he said Almost everything he said in that speech was just flat out wrong. Wrong! President Trump ramping up his response to the coronavirus outbreak, but instead of reassuring the public, he caused more confusion than calm. Like this statement. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. The Department of Homeland Security quickly clarifying, assuring the travel restrictions will not apply to U.S. citizens, permanent residents, and some of their family members. The ban instead would only apply to foreign nationals. Trump caused more uncertainty when he said the restriction would apply to trade. And these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and cargo, but various other things. But Trump took to Twitter to clear up that statement, writing, it is very important for all countries and businesses to know that trade will in no way be affected by the 30-day restriction on travel from Europe. The restriction stops people, not goods. President Trump further jumbled the message when he addressed the health care costs associated with coronavirus. Earlier this week, I met with the leaders of health insurance industry, who have agreed to waive all co-payments for coronavirus treatments. A White House official later corrected the notion, saying co-payments would be waived only for coronavirus tests, not for treatments of the disease. I don't understand. I don't under... Look, it might make sense and be a little more understandable if Trump got some details wrong and had to clarify if this had been some off-the-cuff speech or some off-the-cuff 
conversation with reporters on his way to the Situation Room or something, if this had been off the cuff. But how in God's name, how could you possibly get so many things wrong in a pre-written speech? I don't understand. This was a pre-written speech, pre-planned, given while reading a teleprompter. You read this from a fucking teleprompter. How could you get so much wrong? How could they let that happen? How could anyone let him give this speech? I mean, what's going on here? This tells you either the kind of people that Trump has around him or he has no one around. Like, who's doing this? I do know that that speech was written by, get this, Stephen Miller, the troll from under the bridge, and Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, who has no credentials for anything except for maybe real estate scams. But really... I mean, you. we used to hear back in the early days of Trump how so-and-so, John Kelly or Reince Priebus, somebody, we used to hear that there was at least one person playing the role of adult in the room. Then when that person would inevitably resign, someone else would take the mantle of adult in the room. Clearly, at this point, it is crystal clear there is no adult in the room, at least not a competent or coherent one. I don't understand you know, the idea that an Oval Office primetime address would not get basic editing, fact-checking, clarification before going live. I mean, where the hell was the policy staff? Why didn't the Department of Homeland Security see the speech in advance? Stephen Miller and Jared Kushner wrote this speech. What the hell do they know? And why didn't they get real experts to contribute, put, give us some input, edit, take a look at it before it airs live? Fuck. And this is not just another silly Trump talking nonsense moment. The misinformation he gave out caused actual chaos. The speech finishes. I get a call from a friend of mine whose son is in Paris, and he and his wife are panicking because they don't think they can get their son home from Paris because he just said no flights from Europe. And I had to then wait and find that the DHS clarified it, and then they calm down. But you're seeing pictures today at Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris, and it's like mayhem and panic because a bunch of people are trying to buy like $3,000 tickets home because they didn't know that it, uh, that it didn't apply to American citizens. <laughs> exactly. He didn't mention that. Oh. And people have people were panicking. They were spending thousands of dollars on flights from Europe back home because they didn't think they were going to be allowed to come back. An important piece of information that he just left out of the speech. And all this misinformation about testing and about the severity of the virus. It's what, it's why we are at this dire point now. And I will say, it is nice to hear at least some people on the Republican side of the aisle recognizing the failure of Donald Trump when it comes to stepping up to the plate and leading at a time like this. David Brooks, a conservative columnist for the New York Times, he made his usual appearance on the PBS NewsHour last Friday, and he did not hold back. Here's what he had to say about this whole situation, really. I found it an enraging week, and I feel a deep sense of anger that our government has uh, responded so badly. And frankly, it's, this is what happens when you elect a sociopath as president who doesn't care, who's treated this whole thing for the past month as if it's about him. How do people like me, minimizing the risks, 
does the stock market reflect well on me? And he hasn't done the normal things a normal human being would do, which was to let's take precautions. Let's do the backup things we need to do. Any president would sit down with his team and say, people will suffer here. Let's get ready. And he's, he's incapable of that. Uh, and he's even, he's even created an a information distortion field around him. Even today, the press conference today was all his propaganda. It wasn't honest with people. And so the fact that he wasn't even aware of this is a sign that nobody's willing to tell him bad news. And we've got a dysfunctional process at the heart of the administration at a time of great national crisis. A sociopath. This is what happens when you put a sociopath in the Oval Office. I just don't like that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know. We don't have any idea how long this is going to be going on. Life in the United States hasn't just been disrupted. It has been completely, you know, drawn to a halt. And who knows if and when people are going to get back to normal life. We don't have any idea. At this point, as I sit here on March 16th, I would imagine it's only going to get worse before it gets better. New York City employs around 331,000 people. Roughly 121,000 of them are teachers who will begin teaching remotely next week. That leaves around 210,000 other workers. And the mayor said just 10% of them, or 21,000, are able to work remotely. That means everyone else will not be working. Ugh. I just hope that everyone is, you know, I hope people are staying in touch somehow. FaceTime each other. Call a friend. Check in on people. And try and keep your spirits up. It's a scary time. Irritating time. It's a scary time. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Check in on people. They need you now more than ever. Folks, I am here, I am weird, and we are going to steer clear of fear. How was that? Wasn't that pretty impressive? Holy shit, this is not a this is not a test. This is not a ghost. This is not a rerun. I'm actually here in the Radio Free Brooklyn studio, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight, come hell or high water. So our studios are more or less closed. I did not break in, though. Don't worry. I'm not. This is not some rogue show. It just so happens that I live very close to the studio. Luckily, I'm within walking distance. Luckily, I have no symptoms. I am not sick. I don't feel a sniffle as of yet. And I have no guests. So I'm allowed to be here and I needed to be here because this is going to fucking kill me. I mean, if the if the coronavirus doesn't get me and kill me, then so bad, then let me tell you, folks, the isolation, the mundane, repetitive life we are starting to live, we have no choice but to live, the isolation, the boredom, the, you know, tight quarters, it's going to kill me. I needed to be here. I, I don't want to brag, folks, but for the last three plus years, I've averaged, get this, between 15 and 16,000 steps a day. Yeah, it's not that impressive. Most New Yorkers walk a lot. We do walk a lot here in this city. But having said that, the gyms are closed. We're not supposed to go anywhere. I've taken about 3.3 thousand steps today, and that's the most I've taken in the past three days. So I'm going fucking crazy. I'm sure you're going crazy. This is a miserable experience, and um. I'm not even talking about 
the shelter in place. I'm talking about all of it. This is all horrible. And I'm not really, I mean, it's like, I understand that complaining about it doesn't do any good for anybody. But I just think that sometimes, like right now, I think there's something to commiserating together. Now, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to, of course, you know, dwell on all the bad things, but there's nothing wrong with venting and recognizing that this fucking sucks. More than fucking sucks. It's a scary time. It's a sad time because if you are quarantining or self-isolating or all that shit with, you know, your significant other, good for you. If you're, if you're doing all that with your family, good for you. But most of us here in New York City are miserable. <laughs> most of us here in New York City are not married, I think. I don't know. Most of the people I know aren't married. So we're quarantining alone. Ay, ay, ay. And have you ever felt more alone than quarantining alone? I don't think so. It's tough. This whole thing is tough. I know it's tough for everybody. And so I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think that part of what makes this whole experience so kind of way heavy on your shoulders, more so than most disasters, most calamitous events that we've had to respond to, is the simple fact that we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know how, we don't know, you can't really plan for it because are we going to be held in quarantine for the next two weeks or for the next nine months? And when I read headlines, reading headlines that suggest, and I have seen these, and I don't know if they're it's trying to be witty or clever or informative or both or none of the above. Maybe it's just trying to convey information. But when I read headlines that say things like, quote, some experts estimating we may need to be in quarantine for a year. When you read stuff like that, it is just devastating. And it is daunting. And it is, it wears on you. Just the idea, that's an overwhelming sense of dread. When something like 9-11 happens, 9-11, the thing about an event like 9-11, it is horrible. It is devastating. It is something that we would never wish on our worst enemy. But the difference is on September 12th, we were on our way to recovery. We knew that something horrible had happened, something devastating and scary and tragic and just unbelievable had happened to our country. But the second we woke up that next day, we all came together and started working towards recovery. Recovery started on September 12th. This, we don't know. I don't know. We, you know, we're also helpless. People, you know, we, it seems like every day, the news gets worse and worse. And it's, there are no projected lights at the end of the tunnel. And it's, it's just unlike anything we've ever experienced before, I imagine. And it's certainly unlike anything I've ever experienced before. I mean, even, you know, we talk on this show every now and then about losing someone, losing a parent, losing a loved one, losing a close friend. That, I truly believe, is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. But again, 
as horrible and as lost and as empty and kind of broken as you feel the next day, day one of life without that person, day one of life without them is also day one of recovery. You know, I'm a believer that you never fully heal from the loss of a person, but you adjust. You know what I'm saying. So that's what makes this so different. And I think for me personally, that's what makes this so hard, hard to wrap your head around, really. That's how I feel about it. I also really, really miss my family. It makes me really, I see my three little baby nephews on the social media. I miss the crap out of them. I wish I could be there with them, for them. They're on lockdown as well. They're either oblivious or scared, or maybe they love not going to school. I don't know. I wish I knew. I wish I was there to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, however you're feeling, whether you're angry, whether you're scared, whether you're sad, all of the above probably, tonight, hopefully, we can not dwell on it, but maybe... I think there's something to commiserating together, and I hope we will. That's my plan. So, I started my new job. I'm officially a, I don't even know if, it's, if I should say, because I've never actually said the name of the company. But anyway, I've started my new job. It's going fine. We all have to work from home, so that's kind of a weird way to start. But at least I have a job. I'm not about to complain. Most of my friends, you know, the job that I had to quit in order to take this new position, I had to email my boss and be like, I'm so sorry, I'm going to have to cancel these next, these scheduled bookings. And I listed out like 20 events. Well, most of those events have now been canceled. And I can't help but worry for my friends who live, who get by, by living in the gig economy, by being artists, by being bartenders on the side, by being teachers on the side, they have no income right now. Sure, they can all flock to the unemployment website, but it keeps crashing because everyone's flocking to the unemployment website. And how long is that really going to sustain them? And I worry about people. And, you know, when we do get through this, who's to say everything's just going to pick right off? pick right up where we left off. Our restaurant's going to be able to reopen. I mean, I can't help but wonder. But I don't want to be a complete Debbie Downer. Having said that, let's talk about what's making news tonight. We're only going to really talk about one thing. Can you guess what it would be? Yep, Tom Brady is leaving the New England Patriots. That's true, but that's not what we're going to focus on. Let's talk about this corona crisis. So, the virus has now hit all 50 states. The last count, about 41,167 people in the United States have been confirmed to have the coronavirus, though many other cases are probably out there just undetected. Of those reported cases, 485 have died. With 95 of those deaths in Washington state, 157 of them in New York, 35 in California, and so on and so on. Four states have now ordered shelter-in-place orders, New Jersey, California, New York, and Illinois. California Governor Gavin Newsom ordered a lockdown of the state's nearly 40 million residents, telling them to stay home until further notice, according to Politico. 
Those who violate the directive could face misdemeanor fines, according to Politico, but it's not a full lockdown that would actually forbid those individuals from leaving their homes. I mean, people are still allowed to go to the grocery store, gas station, drugstores, pharmacies. What's the difference between a drugstore and a pharmacy? Beats the hell out of me. Restaurants and bars are closed. They are still allowed to provide takeout and delivery, though a lot of them have stopped. People are allowed to leave their homes and walk outside, provided they stay six feet away from others. And it's gotten worse than that. Nursing homes and hospitals are banning visitors. Airports are in pandemonium after enhanced screening measures for those returning from Europe went into effect. Hospitals are preparing for a tsunami of patients, canceling elective procedures, repurposing their facilities, and adding as many extra beds as they possibly can. As I said last week, folks, let's not sugarcoat it. This pandemic has brought New York City to its knees. It's crazy. Late night shows like The Tonight Show, Late Night, The Daily Show, really all talk shows based here in New York City have suspended production. Saturday Night Live is on a permanent hiatus. The bright lights of Broadway have gone dark. They've been dark now for over a week. We've already been through this. I'm not going (laughs) to reiterate why life is tough right now. Governor Cuomo has been setting a nice example of what leadership actually looks like, giving a detailed, informative press briefing daily so as to keep the people informed of where we are in terms of the situation and what to expect moving forward. In addition to the social distancing and shelter-in-place orders, Cuomo also said the state will be sending 1 million N95 masks to New York City and 500,000 to Long Island to help protect healthcare workers amidst shortages of proper masks and other medical supplies. We'll talk about that more in a moment. You know, Governor Cuomo has done an excellent job, and most people have pointed that out. And who am I to criticize him, right? I mean, I love, I love everybody. I never have any complaints, but actually that's horseshit. The truth is I really don't have much to criticize. I just have one thing that is bothering me. It is bothering me a lot. It has been bothering me for a while. He needs to place a freeze on all rent payments. He's done it for mortgages. He needs to place a freeze on all rent payments. A shitload of people like you and me probably, certainly me, probably you, we don't own property in New York City. We rent property in New York City. We live in rented space. He needs to put a freeze on all rent payments for at least the next 90 days, probably longer, but he certainly needs to do it ASAP. I like Governor Cuomo, and I've been, as I said, he's done a great job. He has been providing some leadership when we have been desperate for some, not just us as New Yorkers, but the whole country. He's been setting an example for other governors and other leaders. He needs to put a freeze on rent payments. It's important. And I don't know what the hell, I don't know why he hasn't done it yet. He's placed a moratorium on evictions and he's placed a freeze on mortgages. But so far he's been silent on the issue of rent. Now, at first someone suggested, and I thought it was I thought it made sense. Perhaps we thought he was trying to roll out these provisions incrementally and would place the freeze on rents by at least the end of last week. He didn't. He didn't. And I was confused and disappointed about it. There was actually a point once towards the end of the week, I think it was Friday actually, towards the end of his press conference, 
when I was sure it was going to happen. I could feel it. I could feel it coming on. And then it didn't. Look, he said, I know this is hard on everyone. And a lot of these actions I've taken are making it hard on everyone. And I want to help as many New Yorkers as I possibly can. Wow, I have a no Governor Cuomo impression. I want to help as many New Yorkers as I can. And I thought, oh, here it comes. <laughs> and then he just went on to talk about placing a moratorium on evictions, which we all already knew about. Come on. I mean, just come on. He needs to put a freeze on rent payments. People are not working. They are not making money. No one can pay their rent. He needs to put a freeze on them. Now, and it's funny, too, because in that same press conference, he was actually asked why he had not yet put a shelter-in-place order in effect. And his response, he went on a little diatribe about how words matter. He said to this report, he said, you know, words matter. The way you say things matters. It affects people. Blah, blah, blah. I agree, Governor. I agree. Words do matter. That's why you need to put a freeze on rent payments. You know, a lot of people have been speculating that, well, you know, he put a freeze on mortgages and the people who have mortgages, those are the people who own the buildings. So if they don't have to pay mortgages, clearly their tenants won't have to pay rents. And he did put a moratorium on evictions just in case. So it's basically the same thing. No, that's not the same thing. That's not good enough. As Governor Cuomo said, words matter. You gotta be specific. You have to say it so there's no wiggle room, so there's no confusion. He needs to put a freeze on rent payments. Words matter. That matters. That matters. Facts matter. Yikes. Am I wrong about this? No. Okay, now let's talk about Trump for just a second. Now, not a day goes by when he doesn't do or say something completely stupid, completely outrageous, and or off the wall. This week, it was a real doozy. Now, I'm sure some of you at some point heard him say something over the course of the week that at face value probably seemed more appalling. But for me, this is what really got me. I've always known this is a, this is a real... This is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. That was Trump. Listen again. I've always known this is a, this is a real, this is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. Let me just point out, he doesn't know what a pandemic is. If you ask him to define pandemic... He would probably say, you're a loser. That's a nasty question. I don't want to tell you. Now, that was Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who has been playing down the coronavirus from the very beginning. That was him saying, look, this is a pandemic. I called it a pandemic before anyone else. What? I said, who? Here's, okay, let's have some fun here. Let's. Let's go back in time for a moment, shall we? Here's what Donald Trump had to say about this coronavirus back in January, all the way back in January. We have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China, and we have it under control. It's going to be just fine. That was in January. Okay, jump ahead with me. Here's what he had to say 
in February, so just last month, about the same coronavirus. We pretty much shut it down coming in from China. You know, in April, supposedly it dies with the hotter weather. Looks like by April, you know, in theory, when it gets a little warmer, it miraculously goes away. In fact, we're very close to a vaccine. But we're going down, not up. We're going very substantially down. We have done an incredible job. We're going to continue. It's going to disappear. One day, it's like a miracle. It will disappear. That was in February. Oh, yeah, he went on a real tear in February, saying all sorts of crazy-ass, dumb-ass shit. Here's a real doozy. So in, in late February, he spoke at CPAC, and he said this. One of my people came up to me and said, Mr. President, they tried to beat you on Russia, Russia, Russia. That didn't work out too well. They couldn't do it. They tried the impeachment hoax. That was on a perfect conversation. They tried anything. They tried it over and over. And this is their new hoax. This is their new hoax. He said, referring to the coronavirus. So, what have we seen heard so far? It's completely under control. One person has it. It's totally fine. It's a hoax. It'll disappear in April. You know, they say it'll magically disappear. That's his word, magical. Just this month, not even a week ago, he was recorded contradicting Dr. Anthony Fauci, who we all agree is the only one to take seriously ever when it comes to representing the White House. Here's their little clash. The mortality for seasonal flu is 0.1. The mortality for this is about two, two and a half percent. It's probably lower than that. It's probably closer to one. But even if it's one, it's 10 times mm-hmm. more lethal than the seasonal flu. You, you got to make sure that people understand that. I think the number, personally, I would say the number is way under one percent. Okay, so Dr. Anthony Fauci says that the number of deaths for the flu is about over 1%. You have to understand that, you know, this is much more deadly than the flu. Then you hear Trump say, look, it's probably less than 1%. I would say that for sure, contradicting the doctor. So we've heard him call it a hoax. We heard him say it would magically disappear in April. We heard him say it was all under control. We've heard him say that anyone who wants a test can get a test. We've heard him say that he's doing a great job. We've heard him say all these things. And most recently, we heard this. I've always known this is a this is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. I've had it. I've had it, too. What the fuck is he talking about? Oh, my God. He's an idiot. He's much worse than that. He is dangerous. He is such a fucking fat oaf. That's great. I love you, too. There's a word for this. There's a word for what he's doing. And Don Lemon, this did not get past Don Lemon. He called it out for what it is. That is gaslighting, pure and simple. The president of the United States is gaslighting you, and you deserve to know. It's nothing new. We know, I mean, he's done stuff like this all the time, but we're talking about a global pandemic, life and death. People are dying. This is a crisis. And... While I believe he perhaps has given one 
frankly, uncharacteristically competent, coherent press conference throughout this whole thing, he has since and very quickly resorted back to trafficking propaganda, pushing conspiracy theories, and lashing out at people, lashing out at reporters, his own staffers, including this reporter who asked an undeniably easy softball question. This was just two or three days ago. What do you say the Americans were scared, though? I guess nearly 200 dead, 14,000 who are sick, millions, as you witnessed, who are scared right now. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? Uh, I say that you're a terrible reporter. That's what I say. I think it's a very nasty question, and I think it's a very bad signal that you're putting out to the American people. The American people are looking for answers, and they're looking for hope. And you're doing sensationalism, and uh, the same with NBC and Comcast. I don't call it, I don't call it Comcast, I call it Comcast. Let me just tell for whom you work. Let me just tell you something. That's really bad reporting. And you ought to get back to reporting instead of sensationalism. Let's see if it works. It might and it might not. I happen to feel good about it, but who knows? I've been right a lot. Let's see what happens, John. Can I come back to the science and the logistics? You're you're ashamed of yourself. The the units that were ordered, are they for... No. No, you haven't been right a lot. You've been wrong about everything. You fat, pumpkin-headed son of a bitch. And frankly, that is really bad reporting. What is bad reporting? He asked you a question. And what the fuck do you know about, frankly, anything, but in this case, reporting? What do you know about journalism? What do you know about anything? Nothing. You fat fuck. The guy asked, what do you say to, what's your message to Americans who are scared? And he fucking flipped out like a rabid dog. What's wrong with this son of a bitch? I mean, that was a softball question if I've ever heard one. He didn't say, like, what do you say to Americans who feel that you didn't do enough in the beginning to quell the severity of this crisis? What do you say to them? That's a little more pointed. That might be a little tougher to answer. This was a softball question. This was a nothing. What do you say to Americans who are scared? Well, I say, we feel your pain. We are here with you. We're all in this together, and we're going to get through this. That's about as bad of an answer as you should ever give to an easy question like that. But instead, he just flips out. He is, I don't know, like it's its unbelievable to me. And, he, you know, he's been going on Twitter rants. He's been contradicting himself, he said today, that because he put out these 15, you know, suggestions on how to deal with the coronavirus, you know, trying, at least trying, to follow the rules and push what the CDC was saying. Well, he has since come out today contradicting himself, saying that the cure cannot be worse than the, than the disease. We have to get the economy going again. What? I mean, trust me, I, you heard me tonight bemoan the fact that everything shut down. But his job is to do whatever you have to do to keep America safe to keep Americans out of harm's way. He doesn't care about Americans. He cares about his image, his economy, his election. He's a terrible person. Yeah. Speaking of which, 
Speaking of which, you know, Donald Trump is just an oaf and it's hard to take him seriously and we probably shouldn't. But a report came out just tonight regarding health care workers, the people who really are leading this fight, the people who are on the front lines, the people who are putting themselves at risk every day, every night to fight the coronavirus and save basically the human race. My sister is a, is a registered nurse practitioner. A good friend of mine is in healthcare, and I, I'm sure anyone listening to this broadcast right now knows someone in healthcare. They are the real heroes here. There was an article that came out today talking about how across the country, healthcare workers on the front lines of the escalating fight against COVID-19, they are describing a grim scene of rationed personal protective equipment widely known as PPE. They don't have enough protective equipment. They don't have enough testing. The scarcity of equipment is at a critical stage where medical workers are being asked to do something that weeks ago would have seemed unthinkable. They are being asked to reuse supplies in healthcare. Imagine if your physician walked in to give you a physical and used the same stick to put on your tongue and say, say, ah, that he had just used with someone next door or used the same gloves or used the same thing to look in your ear. Unthink what are we talking about? What third world country are we living in? That is so goddamn obscene. I can barely stand it. It's hard to think that we could ever get to a place like that, but certainly not yet. I mean, good God. Last week, right after the CDC announced that as a last resort, healthcare workers, they were being told that they could use bandanas as a last resort. Right when that suggestion was made, a physician named Josh Lerner, no relation, but Dr. Lerner wrote an essay in response. You see, this was not the only step the CDC had taken to loosen the safety guidelines for all of those on the front lines. And Dr. Lerner felt moved to respond. I'm going to read you what he wrote. His essay starts with a reference to the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Here's what Dr. Lerner had to say. In one of the most vivid scenes in the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, among the many vivid scenes, soldiers dressed in leather smocks ran out into radioactive areas to literally shovel radioactive material out of harm's way. Horrifically underprotected, they suited up anyway. In another scene, soldiers fashioned genital protection from scrap metal out of desperation while being sent to other hazardous areas. Please don't tell me that in the richest country in the world in the 21st century, I'm supposed to work in a fictionalized Soviet-era disaster zone and fashion my own face masks out of cloth because other Americans decided to hoard supplies for personal use, and so-called leaders sit around in meetings hearing themselves talk. I ran to a bedside the other day to intubate a crashing, likely COVID patient. Two respiratory therapists and two nurses were already at the bedside. That's five N95 masks, five gowns, five face shields, and ten gloves for one patient at one time. Now, I saw probably... 10 to 15 patients that shift if we are going to start rationing supplies what percentage should i wear precautions for 
Make no mistake, the CDC is loosening these guidelines because our country is not prepared. Loosening guidelines increases healthcare workers' risk, but the decision is done to allow us to keep working, not to keep us safe. It's done for the public benefit so that I can continue to work no matter the personal cost to me or my family and my healthcare family. Sending healthcare workers to the front line, asking them to cover their face with a bandana is akin to sending a soldier to the front line in a t-shirt and flip-flops. I don't want talk. I don't want assurances. I want action. I want boxes of N95 face masks piling up donated from the people who have hoarded them. I want billion-dollar companies halting all production of any product that isn't PPE to focus on PPE manufacturing. I want a company like Amazon with its logistics mastery. I mean, hell, it can drop a package to your door less than 24 hours after ordering it. I want Amazon halting its two-day delivery of 12 reams of toilet paper to whoever's willing to pay the most in order to help get the available PPE supply distributed fast and efficiently in a manner that gets the necessary materials to my brothers and sisters in arms.